Amen. Please be seated. If you would, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22. I hope you realize by now, but the Psalms are a precious treasure for the church. Well, why do we turn to the Psalms? Our Shorter Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 17 asks this, into what estate did the fall bring mankind? And here's the answer. The fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. Well, we've been talking lately about the time between the already and the not yet. And for much of what the in-between times is, it's still misery. It can still be miserable even for Christians. And so what can miserable Christians sing? The Psalms. Because the believer recognizes that while the whole world is full of injustice and suffering, God nonetheless is the believer's refuge and strength. And so Psalms help us express what we are thinking, what we are feeling. The Psalms help us be real in this world of global, national, personal at times misery. You've heard this before once or twice. It's worth hearing again. In his introduction to the commentary on the Psalms, John Calvin writes this. I have been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. Genuine and earnest prayer proceeds first from a sense of our need and next from faith in the promises of God. It is by perusing these inspired compositions that men will be most effectually awakened to a sense of their maladies and at the same time instructed in seeking remedies for their cure. In a word, whatever may serve to encourage us when we are about to pray to God is taught in this book. The Psalms indeed, as we've been seeing are an anatomy of the soul. They open us up. They help us see what's on the inside. They give us language to express what we see. But we might as well say also that the Psalms are medicine for the soul. They help close us up. They help to heal us. What can miserable Christians sing? The Psalms. And what, to use the words of Calvin again, can grieving, sorrowful, Fearful, doubting, confused Christians sing the Psalms. A number of years ago, the fall of 2010 in particular, uh, when we were meeting at the library of an elementary school in Edgewood, we did a series from the book of Habakkuk, 
the minor prophet Habakkuk. And the title of that series was Living by Faith When Life Gets Hard. Living by Faith When Life Gets Hard. And interestingly, Psalm 22, I've given this title, Trusting God in the Trials of Life. Very similar. Now, Psalm 22 is one of the many psalms of lament in the Psalter. About 50 psalms, about one-third of all of the psalms are psalms of lament. And here, Psalm 22, many would see, is the deepest and the darkest trial, difficulty, period of of angst and anxiety that you will see in the Psalms. And yet, we can use this as we already have in worship. Did y'all realize we sang Psalm 22 already twice? Most recently, it was the first ten verses followed by one toward the end. Christopher J.H. Wright in his book, The God I Don't Understand... Reflections on Tough Questions of Faith writes this, It is precisely those who have the closest relationship with God who feel most at liberty to pour out their pain in protest to God without fear of reproach. Lament is not only allowed in the Bible, it is modeled in abundance. God seems to want to give us as many words with which to fill out our complaint forms as to write our thank you notes. So what can miserable, complaining Christians sing? The Psalms. In my study of Psalm 22, which we're going to get to in just a moment, Calvin in his commentary concluded that a sense of being forsaken by God far from being unique to Christ or rare for the believer, is a regular and frequent struggle for believers. He wrote, quote, There is not one of the godly who does not daily experience in himself the same thing according to the judgment of the flesh he thinks he is cast off and forsaken by God, while yet he apprehends by faith the grace of God, which is hidden from the eye of sense and reason. So let me ask you this question before, as we begin. Are, do you feel cast off or forsaken by God right now, today? Is something going on in your work situation, your financial situation, your extended family situation, your relationship with parents or spouse, or any number of things that you personally right now feel, or even take it up a level, believe that you are forsaken, that God has abandoned you, that you are alone. Well, I've got really good news for all of us. Psalm 22 is going to speak to this dire strait that many of us may feel we are in at times, if not even today. We could have sung a lot of hymns for this psalm, and one of them could have been, Dear refuge of my weary soul. Is your soul weary this morning? Are you beaten down by life around you? 
Have you gone so far to think that you have been abandoned or forsaken by God? Listen to these words. On thee when sorrows rise, on thee when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. My friends, is your hope today fainting? If it is, you are exactly where you need to be today. Psalm 22 will be good news if your sorrows are rising and your hope is fainting. Now, Rob has sort of already introduced Psalm 22 with some of his words, but I want to speak just a moment about Psalm 22 and Jesus Christ and the Christian, the believer, us. When Jesus spoke, verse 1, from the cross, he was not inventing a unique set of words to interpret his suffering. No, he was quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, because Jesus understood that this psalm was truly about him, but also about and for God's people. Today, we are not going to focus so much on Psalm 22 being clearly a messianic psalm, a psalm that points directly to the Messiah, to Jesus. That is most certainly true. But rather, we're going to focus on, in view of both David and Jesus, being a model to look at, a pattern to use, an example to follow in trusting God in the trials of life. Psalm 22 seems to be an extended play version of the short, desperate cry of the father of the boy who looked to Jesus to cast out the unclean spirit that was, was throwing the son down when he said this, I believe, help my unbelief. And we will see that here in Psalm 22. Join with me as I pray and ask for God's help. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we know that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so as we come before your word, we ask that you, by the powerful working of your Holy Spirit, would indeed instruct us. Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to know, hearts to embrace, and hands to work out your truth. May your word strengthen us with patience to wait and endurance to not quit as we are encouraged by your living and active word as we run the race that is set before us. And Father, while we are running, may we rest in the confidence that the good work you have begun in us will be carried on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Join with me now as I read Psalm 22. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, 
enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. In you they cried, to you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and He has not hidden His face from Him, but has heard when He cried to Him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Psalm 22 displays a movement from perplexity to praise, from trial to triumph, from suffering to glory. And it divides pretty much equally uh, into three equal stanzas, with the first two-thirds being a dark night of the soul, and the last 
third being the dawn of a new day. First, let's look at torment and trust. Uh, The first 10 verses or the first 11 verses, it's hard to decide where to make the transition. We're going to look at trial and trust. Uh, Look at the trial, the silence of God. We see that in the first two verses. God, according to the psalmist, is deaf. He doesn't hear and he's silent. He doesn't speak. Now, I don't know about you all, but you've seen the human relationships, right, where two people are together, but they're saying nothing, right? You look at that situation and goes, that's a little awkward. Well, David is viewing not only just silence, but God's not present with him. God is far off. God is, doesn't listen to him. He, he doesn't speak to him. Divine silence. Nothing panics the servant of God like the silence of God. Let me ask you all this. If, if you're praying and God, as it were, is not answering, if you're reading the Word and, and you open up the Scriptures and dust comes out, you know, dust bunnies come out, are, are you in a panic? You're longing to hear God speak and you hear nothing. Nothing throws the servant of God into a panic like the silence of God. And yet, his anguish leads him to what? To prayer, even in his suffering and his wondering about the ways of God. He does not let go of his knowledge that God is God. Look at verse 1 and 2. My God, my God. Why are you, oh my God, but you do not answer. In the midst of the trial, there's faith, there's trust. And and, and then David goes on to recount the faithfulness of God in Israel's past. And we see that in verses 3 through 5. He recounts the faithfulness of God in Israel's past. God's people cried out to God. God heard them. You read the book of Judges, that's over and over and over again. God's people cry out to the Lord. The Lord hears. The Lord provides a deliverer. He remembers God's past faithfulness. I've just been listening to a new song called Remember to Remember. I like it, right? Remember to Remember. We've got to remember that God is faithful to remember. David is counting on that. But, but look where the psalm moves. It goes from trust because of God's faithfulness to the past, in the past, to the mockery and scorn of man. Look at verses 6 through 8. David envisions himself as being a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. He's being mocked. People wag their heads of him and they, they say this very sarcastic comment that we see also echoed in Matthew and I believe Luke as well of what is taking place around Jesus on the cross. He remembers the faithfulness of God in Israel's past, but then he's dealing with the present mockery, despisement at the hands of man. But then he goes back again and he remembers the faithfulness of God to him personally. 
You know, it's one thing to say, yes, God, you have been faithful to the nation, to your people. Now he's going to say, God, you've actually been faithful to me. And we see that in verses 9 and 10. From the birth, from before birth, David acknowledges the Lord has his hand upon him, has made him trust in him from his mother's womb at his mother's breast. In the midst of the trial is trust because he remembers God's past faithfulness once again to him personally. So let me ask this question again. How are you doing right now? With whatever trial is facing you, how are you doing? Are you able to trust God in the trial or is the trial getting the upper hand right now? When you, as it were, open the shades, is it still dark outside? Is the light out, as it were, where you live? Are you walking in darkness? It's important to remember that God's past faithfulness serves to assure us of His present faithfulness, even when we don't see it with our eyes. As Calvin speaks of faith and grace beyond reason, as it were. Look where you've been and look where you're going and remember to remember, the song says. We see in these first verses David's turmoil of heart and yet, even though faintly, we see trust in God's ultimate deliverance. Well, here in this account of unanswered prayer, first five verses, followed by unrewarded trust in the next few verses, we nonetheless see that trust in the Lord is not fully and finally extinguished. It may be fainting, but it is not gone. Yet we will see torment and turmoil turn to terror as this afflicted man is now thrown, as it were, to his enemies. Look with me at verses 11 through 21, or 12 through 21. I'm, I'm including verse 11 as this transition verse, because before a description of trouble, there is trust. Uh, look with me at verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Before the description of trouble that we will see, there is trust. There is a cry for help. Be not far from me. Do you all know how, how, how valuable a ministry of your presence is to people? We want God close and at hand, don't we? I mean... Going into a difficult situation with somebody by your side. I mean, misery really does love company, but generally the company helps direct you out of the misery. Be not far from me. But let's look at verses 12 through 18 very briefly. A trial of suffering. Suffering is pictured in verses 12 and 13 and it is experienced in verses 14 and 15. I'm not going to take the time, we don't have the time to read through all of this, but you see 
this suffering described in beastly terms. Uh, bulls surround him. And the bulls become lions that, that tear up the prey. And then dogs circle around. Now these are not the dogs, the canines that we have in our homes. These are wild dogs of the ancient Near East that didn't go after living things. They went after dead things. Carcasses. The psalmist is picturing himself as being, as it were, a living corpse. The ordeal is too much. Look at the language of 14, 15, and 17. The assault by the enemy seems fatal. He is laid in the dust of death. David here is hated, he is hunted, and he is being hammered. But all of the historians, all of the theologians, all of the scholars are like, when did this happen in David's life? We don't have any recollection of this kind of assault, this kind of suffering in David's life. Because clearly this psalm comes from David. But it goes beyond David. The psalm goes beyond any experience of David's. While it could arise from some time of suffering, it goes far beyond such to what many consider torture and death. We are listening to David the prophet, as Acts 2.30 make clear, looking forward to the suffering of the Messiah. One commentator rightly says, this is not a description of illness, but of an execution. But look with me beginning at verse 19. There's another trust, another cry for help. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid, deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Again, the dog image is the dog is only going to go after the corpse, the carcass. Save me from the mouth of the lion. He hasn't given up. He's pleading for help, for aid, for deliverance, for save, to be saved. He doesn't quit. You know, this was really convicting to me personally as I was reading through this. Oh, come on. Seriously, you're going to keep calling for help? You're going to keep asking? Wouldn't it be easier to give up? Wouldn't it be easier to ring the bell, as it were, and quit? But we see he doesn't quit. And at the end of verse 21, you hear these words. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Other translations, you have heard me. There is a turning point here at the end of verse 21. You have rescued me. Suddenly, there is a complete and dramatic change. Some commentators would say, oh, they're going to be two psalms knit together. Don't think so. Not at all. Why? Because what is the story of Scripture over and over and over again? But God. But God. But God. Headed in one direction, God shows up, things change, 
and things head in another direction. This is par for the course of God showing up and affecting dramatic, sudden change. It's mysterious. There's no explanation. There's no footnote to Psalm 22, verse 21 at the end to say what is going on. One thing's for sure, David didn't do it. His situation was transformed without any explanations of the reasons or any excuse for the delay. Notice, God does not provide reasons for what He does and when He does it. Most of us have heard that popular expression. It's meant to be an encouragement. Oh, don't forget, God won't give you more than you can handle. My friends, when you hear that, God won't give you more than you can handle, that is a lie. It's a lie along the lines of God helps those who help themselves. It sounds biblical. It's not. Because the suffering and the trials that believers go through places them in situations where it's quite clear that God has given them more than they can handle. And what is the believer's response to being faced with more than they can handle? To cry out to God in desperate dependence. We read in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, that in the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. You see, David is singing this psalm and Jesus is singing this psalm as well. We only know of verse 1 on the cross. But Jesus would have known this well. And this description of Jesus, his prayers, lines up with what is taking place in Psalm 22. And in Jesus' case, God's answer took a totally unexpected form. Instead of being rescued, Jesus was resurrected. Instead of sparing Jesus' single life, God purchased through His death and subsequent resurrection a glorious resurrection to new life for everyone who would trust in Him. So the dark night becomes the dawn of a new day as the psalm moves from the terror of God-forsakenness to the testimony of deliverance. As we see beginning in verse 22 to the end, triumph and trust. Trust during the trial leads to praise. The mood of the psalm, the tone of the psalm has changed. Agonized prayer turns to ardent praise. The failure that seemed certain the failure that most people would have said, give up, he's not listening to you. That certain failure is now swallowed up in victory. Praise rests on the abundant promise. The psalmist has trusted God in the trial. Look at verse 22. It is personal praise. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. Trusting in God, depending on God, it's seen in the work of prayer. 
Prayer remembering the promises of God, both those fulfilled in the past and those that we trust that will be fulfilled in the future. Remembering the promises of God will help us and others offer praise to God, praise from whom all blessings do indeed flow. But it moves on from personal praise to congregational praise, beginning in verse 23 through 26, because now it is festival time in Israel. But it doesn't just stop in Israel. Beginning in verse 27 to the end, it is moving out into the whole world. A world of devotion and worship of the Lord. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Remember what? Remember that God is faithful to His promises. Remember that God can be trusted in the trial. It's not just all around the world, but notice it's through time, the coming generation. All around the world today, Jesus is known and Jesus is worshipped. My friends, you can see the outworking of Psalm 22 right here, right now. But notice how the psalm ends with glory to God alone. They shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn that He has done it. And they're not talking about David. God, the Lord has done it. God uses instruments to accomplish His purposes, but He reserves the glory for Him alone. Paul would say this, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things To Him be glory forever. Amen. Well, in view of what we have seen in the way of trusting God in the trials of life, I want us to end our time in Psalm 22 by revisiting the words of two speakers. First, the words of the mocker. The mockers. Turn with me to verse 8. Verse 8. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. You can hear the mockery. You can hear the sarcasm. You can hear the insincerity. But you know what? Those words are more true than they could have ever realized. On the cross, Jesus did trust the Father. The Father delights in the Son and rescued the Son through death into resurrection. Deliverance and rescue in a most surprising way through the resurrection. You see, whether these are the mockers around David or the mockers around Jesus in the final hours of His earthly life before His death and resurrection, They are speaking the truth. He does trust in the Lord. And he waits for the Lord to deliver him. And it's interesting, this is a little bit ambiguous. You know, for he delights in him. Who's the he? Who's the him? You know, there's a little bit of back and forth. Jesus delighting in his Father. The Father delighting in the Son. So first, the words of the mockers are more true than they could have ever realized. But secondly, the words of David, the words of Jesus, 
far more true than we are often willing to admit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what's interesting? David, you know, should he have gone back and revised verse 1? I mean, at the end, he sees God didn't forsake him, and yet that's how he felt. That was the dark night of the soul. David was not forsaken. But Jesus really was. You see, Jesus could have spoken these words from the cross. We're going to see it next week. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Jesus, that could be recorded of Jesus from the cross, but that's not what we have. What we have is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And my friends, that is good news for us. That it wasn't Psalm 23 quoted, but Psalm 22. For you see, Jesus, though truly innocent of sin, had to be forsaken for a time so that you and I, so that we who are truly guilty of sin would not and will never be forsaken. Those of you that have been here at Grace and Peace for a while, hear this about every week. Jesus in our place and on our behalf. Jesus in our place and on our behalf. God the Lord has done it. And Jesus says it as well at the end in John 19. It is finished. It is finished. God has done it. What is it? Salvation. Salvation through the person and work of Jesus has been accomplished. And salvation is continuing to be applied by the Holy Spirit as people turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. My friends, all of us here have been afflicted by sin. The sins that we commit and the sins that are committed against us. And yet, as we look at verse 24... God has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And He has not hidden His face from Him, but He has heard when He cried to Him. Have you cried out to God in your misery? Are you crying out to God right now in your time of trial? Because my friends, I have good Support, good authority, good reason to say that God delights in all of those who humble themselves, even in the midst of their trials. God delights in those who humble themselves and turn and return to Jesus in repentance and faith. Let's pray. Almighty God, after hearing these words from Psalm 22, we do once again acknowledge that we were so wicked and sinful that Jesus had to die for us. And yet we also acknowledge that we are so loved and treasured, delighted in, that Jesus was glad to die for us. 
Indeed, those who believe and trust in Jesus are the joy that was set before him as he headed to the cross. We rejoice in amazement that Jesus took your curse so that we could receive your blessing. Father, what an amazing exchange. May your word that we have just looked at take residence in our life and change us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, our crucified and saving substitute and risen and reigning Lord for your glory and for the good of your people now and forever. Amen.